Hello, everybody, and welcome back to DDK Pod, the podcast where three guys who founded an IT company talk IT industry news and topics that interest us. My name is Julian Day. With me, as always, are my two co-hosts, Jatinda Candola and Will Dalton. How are you today, guys? I'm good, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, I'm good. I'm all right. It's sunny. Sunny for the first time yeah. in weeks. Sunny weeks and, and warm. Weeks. Sunny and warm, two things at the same time. You'd think that it would always be like that, but the other day I was getting rained on and was freezing cold while it was sunny. So that was great. Good old English weather. Cool. So before we go into the news, just a little bit of admin to cover off this week as well. So those of you who listen to the show regularly may have noticed that we've dropped the frequency of the episodes a little bit. So apologies for that. We've got a lot going on at DDK at the moment. Lots of exciting announcements coming up. A few other media projects and bits and pieces that we're working on. So we decided to drop the frequency of the podcast down to monthly at the moment. We do hope that we can increase it again in the future. So watch this space. But for now, we're going to be producing them monthly. So with that said, let's go on into the news. So Will, do you want to go first with your news story this week? Okay, mine's from The Guardian. This is an article about people who want to keep masking. Quote, it's like an invisibility cloak. Quote. <laughs> so remember at the beginning of the pandemic, the government advice was not to wear masks. And then it was to wear masks. So everyone's now wearing masks. And it was there, to, I suppose, for the benefits to prevent transmission of the virus. But some people prefer to keep wearing them to act as a shield more than the virus. So it uh, allows you to remove some expression from your work environment so you don't actually have to smile. <laughs> or you can keep the future <laughs> It'd be great reaction. for you. That's basically well, why you have a beard, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. So being a grumpy sod, I find I've gained a lot more friends during my mask wearing episodes which well, no probably, one can see your sneer no one, no one can see my grumpy face which inevitably i'm probably going to lose as soon as i as soon as i take my mask off but anyway it's interesting that people people can sort of shield from their emotions they don't have to keep smiling uh, they can just they could just i suppose be normal but still have relationships with people yeah uh, that is interesting i've always felt that masks are slightly discriminatory towards people with beards you guys need like a giant sock or something don't you to, yeah that's exactly rat, what rat. i wear I've got like this um, biker thing. Sock, don't you? Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, this biker thing. That I wear. You just need the Harley. Yeah, <laughs> Harley to go with it. Yeah. yeah, brilliant. Okay, so my news story this week is uh, is about Apple, um, but it's just it's slightly about Apple. It's more actually about a, a resurgence that has been created in retro computing as a result of the pandemic. So Apple have hit the headlines recently, as they often do, because people love ridiculing them from their pricing model, for selling the 2013 model. I don't know if anyone remembers this, but the 2013 model of the Mac Pro, a refurbished version of an eight-year-old PC, which looks like a trash can in American speak or a dustbin in, in the UK. So it's basically a big cylindrical looking thing. And they're selling this uh, this eight-year-old PC, which doesn't have particularly glittering specs for these days, as you would expect, for a cool 5,149 English pounds, which is uh, is quite a big price for something that's only got a 2.7 gigahertz processor in. So it has got rubbish in it then as well. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Um, well, it was an interesting experiment that didn't go very well. So basically, it had it had good specs for the time. I mean, it's sixty four gigs of RAM, you know, well, nearly three gigahertz. Yeah, for for eight years ago. So obviously, it's no, no great shakes now. But it actually never it never got anywhere close to those particular specs because of the form factor. Because they tried to do something different with it, which was make it really light and put it in a cylinder so that someone could throw it in a backpack or whatever. Because obviously, traditional Mac Pros are like a massive ATX tower type thing, so they're they're not portable and they they come in at something like eighteen kilos. This thing was meant to be much lighter, much easier to move around. But because it was shaped like it was, the throttling on it was dreadful because the thermal performance was awful. So you couldn't keep it 
cool. So it was a failed experiment, basically, but there's a renewed interest in things like this, these kind of uh, IT curiosities as a result of the COVID pandemic, because people are sort of looking back at them and demand has increased. So Apple have got in on the act and started selling it. And if there's a market for it, then, you know, Godspeed to those people, I guess, whoever's behind the damn things. But <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it's, uh, it's an interesting curiosity and it was quite fun seeing it pop up again. I'd, I'd forgotten all about it, actually, the, the, the cylinder PC. I also, I know they did servers as well that were cylindrical that caused people all sorts of problems with trying to mount them in traditional racks. I actually ran into that on one of my projects a few years ago. Yeah. Anyway, interesting. <laughs> cylinder in a rack. Yeah, no, they did. Yeah. They did. They had, they had, um, they had round servers and you had to try, you had to get these special mounting bracket things to make to it fit, a rectangle. To, to fit them into, well, to fit them into traditional, you know, traditional server racks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think they had to be, I could be wrong in saying this, so don't shout at me, sysadmins who've dealt with these things, but I think they had to be upright as well. So they would take up, you know, six, seven, eight year or whatever it was in in a rack. And so people in data centers didn't like them, but you could mount them sort of two one behind the other, I think, if I'm if I'm remembering right. I, may, I might be making all of this up, but they definitely did Probably. do cylindrical. So was servers. that shape choice just to make it look slick and different? Like yeah. So so, of, so so the story which is, is like around Apple, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, style over style over uh, substance or whatever. But yeah, it was. So this was actually a desktop PC. This wasn't a server, but it wasn't the. My point was, it wasn't the only time they went. They tried to go with a, a cylinder sort of form factor for a computer. Why but, uh, would you use an, an Apple right, for a server anyway? It's, you know. Let's not get... Well, I, I had very good reasons <laughs> Don't on the write project. Don't write me, anyone, about <laughs> the reasons why I'm not actually interested, but the, it, well, yes, they're fault. The answer in our case was because people were uh, wanting to run virtualized environments on VMware Fusion, which is the the Apple version of yeah, uh, VMware. Wow. And, yeah, because that's, that's taken off. Uh, well, they were developing stuff for MacOS, so they needed Mac virtual machines, and that was the only way to run Mac virtual machines at scale was to buy a bunch of their ludicrously shaped servers and stick them in a rack. Anyway, we're going off topic. Jatinda, what's your <laughs> news story? My news story is about Russia. So on May the 14th, they published a list of unfriendly countries. So firstly, that's a very strange thing to do. And secondly, it only has two names on it, which is also quite strange, I'd presume. The two names on the list are the United States. So that was fairly obvious. I'm doing my surprised face. <laughs> <laughs> And then the Czech Republic is the only other name on that list, which is weird. The only reason we can find for the Czech Republic being on there is that they had a bit of an issue back in 2014 where Czech government blamed Russia for blowing up an ammunition depot in one of its towns, which was apparently accidental, but until they saw some Russian agents there on some footage and they, they believe that they are the ones that blew it up. Was this was this a story where that was the same two who went to Salisbury and got caught doing the poisoning think, there? No, nah, they were in Ukraine, I think, those two. Oh, right. Yeah. Sorry, that, I'm getting confused. They've only yeah, actually but... got two spies left in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> they keep need. reusing them. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, it's just a strange thing that they, they published this list, firstly, of unfriendly countries and there's only two names on there. And that was it, really. Yeah, like, Is it wow, like a street. you're not my friend anymore list? It does feel like that. Like, take my ball like home. A... You're not my friend. <laughs> yeah. Not going to play with you anymore. <laughs> want the world to know that you're not <laughs> yeah, my friend. Yeah. That they have a falling out with the US. Yeah, I think it was... Yeah. It's a good job that list's out there. How else would we know? It's a bit, it's a bit disappointing we're not on it, isn't it? I'm yeah, I'd like I to thought that, that was a bit I mean, weird, not DDK yeah. itself, but maybe the yeah. UK. <laughs> <laughs> True. If we are considered an unfriendly nation state at some point by the Russians, then we've done something very seriously wrong. Like, I don't know what, what kind of business practices would land us in that I kind think of it's, No, I think it's we've done something very right. <laughs> anyway, let's, let's leave that there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh before that gets any worse we're going to go into this week's main we're topic have a which, lot of letters 
yeah, 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 no, let's let's not let's not do that. Uh, I think we've got some listeners in Russia, by the way. So shout out to those people. Hi, hi okay. guys, if, you, if you're long. listening today. No, no. Well, we're not on the list, so they can listen to us. Anyway, right, let's get into the main topic. God, a bit of sunshine, and it all goes to pot, doesn't it? Um, so today's today's topic is about the uh, the post office. And oh, before I go any further, I should also say very quickly, if my audio sounds a bit weird today, it's because I'm recording from a. Uh, a very grand grade two listed building so sorry if there's a bit of bit of echo or i sound a bit weird um it's not my house no not all of us live in a giant castle in yorkshire it's called harpenden hall it's a very pretty grade two listed building but currently my house is being torn apart by builders so if anyone's wondering why i sound a bit odd if there are any russians listening i don't live in yorkshire <laughs> <laughs> No, he lives in my address. Anyway, <laughs> right, so let's get into it. So Horizon, have either of you heard of Horizon or, or the story I'm about to go into? It's about the yes, scan, the IT yes, scandal. Yes. Only um, when you mentioned it. I hadn't heard of it before then, really. Any Anyone who regularly listens to the show will know that I like a good scandal to, to get my, my teeth into in terms of investigating. I did the A-level scandal earlier on and, and a couple of other things. But this this is, this is one, it takes the cake. You know, this is crazy, this story. I, can't, I couldn't believe it while I was going through the notes for this. So Horizon was a, uh, it was a big IT delivery. We're all going to start groaning as I start going through this because it's, it's a very typical case study. So the, the tender originally was for a billion pounds uh, and ICL picked it up who later became a part of Fujitsu Services and according to Post Office Limited who were the, the company that put this tender out, it was for delivery of both bespoke and commercial software, on-prem tin, uh, software used to control and monitor systems, testing and training. So it's the whole end-to-end Software delivery, very outdated model these days in comparison, but this was before 1995, which was when the first pilot of this system was was launched. And for anyone who's out there, I know we have quite a lot of international listeners to this podcast. So the post office that I'm talking about is the Royal Mail, which is the main mail carrier in the UK. So it's the equivalent of the United States Postal Service or whatever else you know you might have in, in your own country of origin. So it's uh, it's just basically the national carrier of, of mail and parcels and stuff. And there's there've been some more competitive organisations that have sprung up over the years and, and all sorts. And there's all sorts of politics swirling around with the Royal Mail to do with unions and all kinds of things, but we're not going to go into any of that today. So put all that to one side, it's basically the main mail carrier. And it acts on a sort of franchise model where you have these people called sub-postmasters and postmasters running post offices all over the country. They're like franchises of the Royal Mail and they provide a, a, a space on the high street for people to go to in order to do certain types of banking, like collecting benefits and, and savings accounts and things like that and sending parcels and, and letters and stuff. So that's what the post office or the Royal Mail, I'll probably use those two terms interchangeably. That's what it is. So in 1999, four years after the, the tender went out and £700 million of taxpayers' money after the pilot scheme began, the government, which had now changed over to a Labour government, decided to stop the scheme in its tracks. So Horizon was was in post offices at this point, but it was still only uh, a pilot. £700 million? Pounds. £700 million, pounds, yes. Wow. On an IT project? Yep, not not uncommon though, don't a forget. A non-military IT project, that <laughs> yes. is. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's impressive. I worked on the e-borders system under Raytheon Systems before they lost that contract when I was still part of BAE. And I mean, that was that was bigger than that, the tender for that. That was 880 million, I think. So it wasn't uncommon back then to have mm. these absolutely gargantuan systems. I mean, look at the number of failed, we've covered them before on the podcast, the failed NHS projects as well that have come along. I mean, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that runs in billions. Yeah, so it's big, but I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't totally uncommon. Uh-huh. Anyway, so they withdrew from the deal, the government, and uh, they left Fujitsu and ICL to run this thing. And this is going to this is going to come back to haunt us later, this particular quote. But ICL themselves criticized the contract payment criterion that they were under at the time. 
and said that they would have been paid partly based on how many customers post office attracted after the system was introduced. Uh, Stuart Sweetman, who is the managing director of the customer and banking services for Consignia, remember that name, which was Mm. at the time the holding company for the post office and parcel force and Royal Mail. He said, looking back, I think it was overambitious. You can't export all the risk to a supplier. And we'll come back to that quote later on. But yeah, so they they accepted a contract where they were partially going to be paid on the basis of how many customers the post office was able to attract. Shit, I, I've just what? negotiated a contract with a supplier based on that kind of model. Well, that's good. You, you <laughs> can go and work on that I wonder one. if that's the right one. Okay, I'll, I'll listen on. <laughs> <laughs> you can manage that one for us, Will. Okay. Anyway, so as is probably predictable at this point, it all went a bit, a bit wrong. Tits up. Before we go any further, though, do you, do you guys, you said you remember this story, Will. Do you remember why it was so controversial, what, what all the, hunt, the headlines were about? Wasn't it about that blame was put on the operators of the system and that they were accused of being fraudulent in some sense? I'm not quite sure of the mechanics of it. And they, they were prosecuted right. and sent to, I think in yeah. some cases, sent to jail not believed that they hadn't done anything wrong, prosecuted, sent to jail, and actually it was all to do with inaccuracies and failures within the software system itself. Yeah, that's actually beautifully put. We can all go home now. I was going to talk for about 20 minutes. But... Okay, all right, okay. <laughs> there you go. You, you've literally, you've just taken all of my thunder and stolen it. I just summarised, I just summarised for you, Julian. You did, and that's that's great. From memory, that's not bad either. But yes, so so essentially, in around 2000, a guy called Alan Bates, who was the sub-postmaster at a post office in Wales, at a place, now, I, I can't speak Welsh, and I'm not going to... Try, go on. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's written... Craig Yadon, right? Craig Yadon. I, I have no idea how I'm supposed to pronounce it, but so apologies to our Welsh listeners if there are any out there. But um, but basically, no he was the post, postmaster there. And he reported his concerns to Computer Weekly, which I'm, I'm sure many people in the UK have heard of. It's quite a big publication. In 2004, this was. So he, he tried to raise concerns in 2000. In 2004, they published, sorry, they, they received notice from him that there were problems and it took them until 2009 to be able to gather enough evidence to publish a story on it. They did so. There was an initial investigation that that Post Office Limited themselves stood up, I believe it was, and it failed at first to find the cause of the problems. And as a result, an independent investigative firm called Second Sight were brought in to conduct a separate independent inquiry in 2012. So first concerns reported in 2000 takes until 2012 to get a, a sensible looking inquiry in place, right? And then it gets even worse. So I should point out here, I'm not attacking the Post Office generally. I'm relating what you know, what happened. And and there were a catalogue of mismanagement uh, errors and things like that, which have been well documented. So I'm not having a pop at the post office itself to anyone out there who's a a big fan of it. But this is this is what happened effectively. And it's, it's very interesting, because it highlights a number of things that we can get into in the IT industry. But effectively, the the post office admitted after an interim review that software defects had been found, but they really downplayed how bad, how bad it was. So they said that it caused a shortfall of up to £9,000 at 76 post office branches, but overall the system was sound, right? The thing is, 150 postmasters were continuing to raise issues with the system, which they claimed had put them in debt by tens of thousands of pounds, not £9,000. You know, Each individual postmaster was saying they were out of pocket by tens of thousands. And in some case, pe- cases by this point, people had gone to prison or lost contracts as a result of these faults. The report, which the post office treated as confidential, so they didn't publish it widely, described the Horizon system as not fit for purpose in some cases. And the second site investigators claim that there are about 1,200 communication failures every year, which is quite a large number with software defects at over 76 branches 
and old and unreliable hardware all over the place. And it turned out the system hadn't been tracking numbers from lottery machines, from tax disc sales. Remember those before it all went mm. online? You go and buy a paper tax, tax disc to put in your car to say that it was legal. And they weren't tracking withdrawals from cash machines and stuff like that. So the post office investigation hadn't looked at the cause of these errors. They just accused the sub-postmasters of theft. And it's interesting this because the post office is one of the few institutions in the UK that has its own powers of investigation and prosecution. So I didn't know this, but because of its history, they have a team who are able to go and prosecute people basically off their own back in a way that most other uh, commercial organisations can't. They've got like post office police. Yeah, almost. I mean, they so they, they can't, they obviously have to go through the Crown Prosecution Service and so forth, but they, they can investigate and, yeah, and submit evidence and stuff. And, and then, you know, if it goes to court, it goes through the usual channels. Mm-hmm. They can't just do it unilaterally and, and make a ruling They're themselves. not like judge and jury. No, it's not like Judge Dredd with a no, post judge office Dredd logo on his forehead. <laughs> no, awesome, uh, no, 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 they... <laughs> you are guilty. No will. no will, that would not be awesome. That's <laughs> okay. a dystopia. No, sorry. Anyway. Sorry. Not awesome. Sorry. <laughs> And by this point, 144 MPs have been contacted by sub-postmasters about the issue. So this was growing at this point, right? So if we fast forward then to 2015, Computer World UK reported that the post office were uh, obfuscating, uh, well, sorry, obfuscating, were obstructing. Well, they were obfuscating because mm. they weren't, um, well, they weren't yeah. putting the report out. Fortunate Freudian slip there. But they were also obstructing the investigation by refusing to hand over key files to Second Sight, who, if you remember, were the people that were employed to be uh, an independent investigative office. Did they get away with this because they have their own kind of system to find justice? Police force. Yeah. I can't really comment on whether or not that was the case because my research didn't make that clear one way or another. But no, I think they were just generally obstructing the investigation, oh, okay. basically. I, I don't think it's because they had their own investigatory powers. Mm. That was rumbling along in the meantime. But I think, I mean, maybe there was a component of question, that. Because, though, Tim does. Very yeah. interesting yeah. question. Because it's a very few organisations that, that have that, well, if any, really. Yeah, well, and true. also, I guess, I guess you might be right, JK, in the sense that they were worried that they would be shown to be misusing that particularly unique, unique power. Yeah. Um, because if they're prosecuting or leading to the prosecution of people based on bad evidence, which it turns out 100% they were, yeah, that you know that was obviously going to look bad on them. But I, uh, yeah, there wasn't any any particular link drawn between that the uniqueness of that or, or re- relative rarity of that power. At this stage, now senior management are being part of legal activity in terms of not. Yeah not putting forth the yeah. truth picture. Yes, they are. They and are. People's livelihoods are impacted as well. Yes. By now, people are already in jail. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. At, at this point as well, that it was becoming more and more known that there was a problem here. And so mm-hmm. there was a hearing of the Business Energy and Individual Strategy Committee, which is a, an MP-chaired committee in the House of Commons, um, on the 3rd of February 2015, where so this Angela, is 15 years later now yep where at 15 years after mr bates originally raised his concerns yeah. in in wales yes and by this point people had gone to jail yeah and mm. and lost livelihoods marriages their lives have been homes absolutely destroyed because their gone. character yeah. and and also i mean i was going to come on to this later but many of them had been persuaded by their legal counsels to plead guilty yeah, because of the system, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Because of the system, because yeah. because it was considered that there was a very strong case against them because the computer said it, and yeah. also because they would get a far lesser punishment if they admitted mm-hmm. guilt. So many of them were counselled mm-hmm. to just, even though they were innocent, take 
take the fall, basically, because it was going to have less of an impact on their life overall. There's probably a bit of there. fear about who they're going up against in the courtroom as well. So that, I think that's yeah, yeah. I mean, into. monolithic, yeah, monolithic organization like the post office, government backed, which we'll come yeah. on to again actually in a minute. But anyway, and even Fujitsu itself, it would have its own army of lawyers if it ever got to absolutely blaming the computer. Absolutely. Although I didn't. I didn't come across a lot of stuff about Fujitsu. Most of this focused around post office and their response. Um, so I don't actually know how Fujitsu and its army of lawyers reacted. I think the cases were mostly brought against the post office rather than Fujitsu because post office had ultimately the buck stopped with them for the system and for the data and the way it was run. Fujitsu built the system. And I don't, I don't actually know if they've been subject to any... Uh, any significant action as a result of of getting some of this stuff wrong, but because the buck stopped with the post office and the post office's behaviour wasn't great, mm. it, it you know it highlights a lot of in, issues within the IT industry with how we handle data and how we believe what computers say, which is something we've talked about before on the pod. At this this hearing on the third of February, Angela Van der Bo- Bogerd, I'm good, sorry if I'm pronouncing attempt. that wrong. Let's go with yeah. that said that they had been working with Second Sight over the last few weeks on what we agreed at the outset. We have been providing information. And then (laughs) the lead investigator from Second Sight was asked if this was the case by the committee. And he said, no, it's not. (laughs) Short and sweet quote. So yeah, they hadn't been given access to prosecution files, which obviously the post office had been pulling together using those powers I mentioned. And he needed those files in order to back up his suspicions that the post office had brought cases against sub-postmasters with inadequate investigation or inadequate evidence. Um, And he said that these files were still outstanding in 18 months after they'd been requested. Here comes the really Machiavellian bit there, right? You ready for this? So what do you reckon the post office did the day before the report was due to be published, the final report by Second Sight? Burnt it, shred it. (laughs) Beautiful. Yep, got it in one. You're on fire today, Will. (laughs) Yep, that's exactly what they did. So the day before it was due to be published, they 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 pulled a blinder of a move by saying okay one day before it was due to go to press and due to be published openly destroy all the paperwork which they hadn't handed over yet second site hadn't handed over yet scrap the independent committee set up to oversee the investigation as well as the mediation scheme for sub postmasters which at this time was rumbling along trying to come to amicable settlements with them and they published their own report which cleared themselves of any wrongdoing yeah i bet all of that cost a lot of money Genius, it just makes right? you so mad so angry mm. that people in these kind of positions and in a way they get to these kind of positions because of their kind of sociopathic tendencies that they pull these kind of maneuvers that have yeah. direct impact into other people's lives i couldn't sleep at night i wouldn't yeah. be able to sleep at night if i knew that in any tiny way i was responsible for impacting someone else's life I would just yep. come clean and say, look, this is, I'm sorry, I've made a mistake, yeah. blah, 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 right from day one. I think it's just, and what do we do as a country as well? What are we doing about these pe- particular people? Uh, uh, I mean? Well, I'll come yeah. on to that because right. that, sorry, that It just makes where... me so mad. It makes me so Yeah, mad. I know, and rightly so. But the one thing that is very encouraging about this story is that these people don't get away with it. Yeah. Oh, good. So, so oh, good. the systems that we have in place. There's a happy ending, yeah, yeah. There is. Well, it's not happy because people's lives have been destroyed. But at least something is being done, right? So, and 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 I don't think it's fair to lay all the blame at like the chief exec's feet or whatever. I mean, yeah, okay, the buck stops with them. But this is a great example of IT project. Why does the chief exec not know about this though? 
mean, well, because know. because chief execs can't know about the minutiae of everything that's going they on. They can't, but they should know about important stuff. This sounds important. I'm I'm not making excuses for them. I'm I'm saying that that very often they don't because people don't feed them the right information, and it goes all the way down through the chain. This groupthink thing, and and we've seen it in our own work. I've certainly seen it within my clients sometimes, where you get on big IT projects which have a significant reputation hit involved if they fail. This was was absolutely true for me when I was working on e-borders. It starts to gather momentum in its own right, and people are, are more worried and more preoccupied with the idea of being perceived to have failed than well, they are it. with. It's doing the right thing. thing. It becomes a cult- it's a cultural so thing. Which yeah. is the chief exec's responsibility. Is, it, it have is. you got a culture in your organization that where failure is frowned upon, where you hide failure? And that is yeah. directly your responsibility, where people are actually so fearful of failing that they would rather other people suffer and suffer in quite a horrific way. There are people, yeah. I don't know about how I, lives I'll, were I'll, ruined, yeah. but there are some p- yeah. particularly horrific stories. People in this company would rather that happen than be upfront and honest within the, yes. within the framework of the company. Now, that is directly the chief exec's responsibility. It, it is. It is, Will. That's true. But I, I don't think you can blame it entirely on the chief exec. It is their responsibility to fix it, but, but this was systemic. You know, well, all that's throughout it, the, but that's the problem. They, all throughout the company, they should know about it. Yeah, and probably within within parts of Fujitsu as well. You know, there there were significant mm-hmm. efforts taken. Although I should say, you know, so we don't get into serious trouble, there isn't any suggestion that Fujitsu were the ones doing the misleading here, or that they were they were culpable for this. This is mm-hmm. this is all laid very firmly by the legal system at the post office's door. So I'm not throwing anything at Fujitsu there. I'm just saying there must have been some people who knew what was going on within the managed service, and you know either they were powerless to do anything about it, or they felt scared to raise it. That's another issue we have in this country with big IT projects, don't we? People who blow the whistle never ever work again. It's just fear yeah. after fear after yeah. fear. It's isn't fear. It? It's yeah. fear building on fear, building yeah. on groupthink, building on fear. Yeah. But anyway, the post office put out a statement saying. This has been an exhaustive and informative process, which has confirmed that there are no system-wide problems with our computer system and associated processes. We will now look to resolve the final outstanding cases as quickly as possible. Yeah, I bet you will. <laughs> anyway, so tw- fast forward to um, to 2019, when it became really obvious that serious and systemic problems were, were happening and that there'd been a very big miscarriage of justice. So um, Bates and others versus Post Office Limited civil litigation, class action litigation brought in 2019 by 550 sub-postmasters was settled in 2019 by the post office. Mr. Justice Fraser, the just judge overseeing the civil action, noted that the approach of the post office to the case amounted in reality, and I quote here, by the way, this is direct quote, to bare assertions and denials that ignored what had actually occurred, at least so far as the witnesses called before me in the Horizon Issues trial are concerned. It amounts to the 21st century equivalent of maintaining that the earth is flat. Which some people still believe, actually. Which mm. some people still believe. You're free to believe whatever you want, but still, that was not his that, quote. No. That's not, not mine. You're not free to believe that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Paula Venels, uh, who was the then chief executive of the post office, Steady Will, subsequently apologised to workers affected by the scandal. Her letter to the Energy and Industrial Strategy Select Committee states, the message that the board and I were consistently given by Fujitsu 
from the highest levels of the company was that while, like any IT system, Horizon was not perfect and had a limited lifespan, it was fundamentally sound. Hey, hey, here we go. Let's try and shift the blame onto the company that delivered the that system for us and, and basically just claim that we had no knowledge of any of this. And, you know, maybe that's what the board were told. I wasn't in those meetings. I can't comment on that. Then we have the possibility of criminal action being raised against people involved. So in 2019, the register reported that Mr. Justice Fraser, who was, if you remember, was the judge. Uh, who presided over this uh, 550 sub-postmasters civil action litigation, which was settled in 2019. So in in December of the same year, he reported, the register reported that he would be passing a file to the Director of Public Prosecutions in the UK. And a number of cases were under review by the Criminal Cases Review Commission, raising the possibility of actions of malicious prosecution. So obviously, you know, there's a lot, a lot of fallout from this potentially. Very quickly, I'll finish, finish this off because I know we're running short on time. Criminal Cases Review Commission in March 2020 decided to refer for appeal the convictions of 39 post office applicants. And that number later rose to 51. So 51 of these post office applicants who asked for their, their appeals to be considered were then put forward. In April of 2021, so this is why this story is so relevant to us now, After an appeal before three judges, 39 of the convicted former postmasters had their convictions quashed. So 39 people at a stroke, convictions just quashed. But not all of them. Not all of them, no. And how many years after? A further 22 cases, a further 22, uh, well, 21 years after Alan Bates originally raised his suspicions. A further 22 cases are still being investigated. And in early early December 2020, Convictions of six other former postmasters were overturned due to Ron Crawl. Surely conviction. you just dismiss all of them. That's anything that's related to this particular well, system. Yeah. Surely it's it's game over. Uh, Why do we have well, to go through every single? I mean, even because, if actually you have been on the fiddle in a way, <laughs> do you know <laughs> well, what I mean? it becomes? It becomes a legal technicality. Surely, if I, if it's based off dodgy data, which ultimately this system is, you have to throw out. Well. Yeah, I mean, so there, there is a. Um, I'm not a legal expert, by the way, Nate. In case yeah, there is. Well, yeah, I'm not sure anyone was labouring <laughs> under that delusion. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> so <laughs> there is, there is obviously a case that every, you know, every case in law has to be treated on its own merits, and that there were some people who almost, un, you know, unquestionably were doing dodgy stuff at that time. You know, when you've got an organisation as big as the post office, they, they, not everyone is necessarily going to be honest. Maybe they all are. And I again, I don't want to throw any shade at anybody, but yeah, there's a chance that there were legitimately dodgy things going on which need to be investigated. If, you're, if you murder, if you murder someone, and I don't encourage anyone to do that, if there's a technicality in the way evidence was gathered, the, the case is thrown out. Yep, sure. But the thing is, in some of the cases that went through, it wasn't done purely on the basis of that evidence. The issue is that a lot of these cases were prosecuted purely on the basis of evidence coming out of the Horizon system. So a lot of people lost their lives because, lost their livelihoods, excuse me, because they they were being prosecuted based solely on what the computer had said about them. But there are other people who were being investigated at this time who are being you know, investigated on the basis of multiple that. different bits. Sure. Well, no, okay. that, that might have been one bit of evidence, but there were other bits of evidence sure. that pointed to them doing bad stuff. I mean, but if, it, if any of their stuff. evidence touches on that particular computer system, I think it should be thrown out. Yep, fair enough. Or a reduced sentence. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, did anyone lose their lives? Did anyone uh, commit well, I think, or anything like that on the back of it? So there is a report, and I wasn't, I didn't go digging because it's maudlin, but there was a report in one particular publication which stated that there was one suicide that had been linked directly to this. Now, 
Obviously, if that was the cause of it, that is unbelievably tragic. But I was not able to find, I mean, I did very limited digging, but I was not able to find a substance, substantial link there. It was just mentioned in, in one article and I didn't want to make a big deal out of it in case they've got that wrong. So yeah, potentially somebody did, did commit suicide. But what you, what you can say with absolute certainty mm. is that a lot of people went to prison yeah. uh, who shouldn't have gone to prison at all. A lot of people, their marriages were lost, their reputations were destroyed. A lot of people had their houses taken from them, you know, lost their mortgages, basically lost everything, just lost their, their credibility, their reputation. Monetarily, they were ruined, declared bankrupt. Obviously, they're then unemployable because yeah. they've, they've lost everything and their reputation's in tatters. It's particularly difficult for people that worked at branches of post offices because back then post offices were seen like an extension of the council almost. They had a lot of responsibilities from central mm -hmm. government, like co-signing witnesses, co-signing the witness on a photograph for your passport, responsibilities like that that not everybody could just be given. Things like that were, were given to post office. Absolutely right. And they were part of the community as well, weren't they? Post yeah, offices. absolutely. Hubs, weren't they, in terms of yeah, social? They were like a sort of local pub, weren't they? So, yeah. so imagine, you know, that information would just be known throughout the community. There would be... Yeah. yeah. Well, and also they're dealing with some very vulnerable people, don't forget, because yeah. a lot of very old people in this country still treat the post office as their main bank and yeah. they have more trust in it than the banking system. They're also responsible for the distribution of benefits, which is what this system was really all about, yeah. was, was uh, benefit payments and so on. Anyway, just to close this out in terms of what happened, there was a quote from um, an, the executive chairman of the legal firm representing many of the postmasters, um, Dr. Neil Hudgel. He said, now post office officials must face criminal investigation for maliciously ruining lives by prosecuting innocent people in the purpose in the pursuit of profits and he called for the prime minister to convene a judge-led inquiry and boris johnson has done exactly that so on the 26th of february 2020 boris johnson committed to hold an independent inquiry and in a written ministerial statement on the 10th of june paul scully the minister for small business consumers and labor markets announced the scope of the independent review into the post office horizon IT system and the subsequent trials and the inquiry, which will be led by Sir Wynn Williams, began work in 2020 and issued a call for evidence in December. And the first public hearing session took place on the 15th of January of 2021. So this story has got more mileage in it. There's more to go. And we may, in fact, see criminal prosecutions against the fat cats if you want to call them that, or the you know the, the the folks at the top of the chain, senior executives, etc. According to the Financial Times, there are over 700 other postmasters who were prosecuted using evidence from the Horizon system who are not involved in the stuff that's already happened and the quashing of convictions and so on and so forth. So potentially, there's even more people out there who have ended up on the the business end. There always is, isn't it? The silent majority. Yeah. So what so what do we think about it? You know, I mean, obviously, we've already sprinkled a few thoughts through there was a brilliant term and i don't know if he coined this i couldn't find an original source for it from john thornhill of the financial times which i think i'm going to put in the title of this episode which is that these were the, these people suffered from automated injustice which i think is quite good and they said from a technological you know he said in his ft article from a technological viewpoint the horizon project is a case study in how not to deliver software a software service Fujitsu's design was largely retrofitted from a previous and flawed IT system built from the top down it took little account of user need the post office outsources technology expertise to Fujitsu and provided inadequate training for sub postmasters and then failed to enforce a rigorous data auditing regime now I, I wasn't able to go through the sources for that because he didn't really list them and really dig into how their delivery was done but I think we can all you know take a bit of a guess can't we we've all worked on these big monolithic projects that have you know spent the earth and potentially failed to deliver and so on and so forth 
a perfect storm of failures, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely failure in everything. Failure in delivery of software, failure in quality assurance, failure in yeah. culture, you know, in terms of fear of failure, failure in leadership everywhere. Failure in service management. I mean, yeah. I think there's so many lessons that we can learn from it. And I think in, in a lot of ways we, ha- we are in terms of the way we deliver yeah, software absolutely. now in small yeah. iterations. Very different, isn't it now? Mm. Different industry. We use failure as a, as a metric for, for learning. We do. I'm not, sure. I'm not sure everybody does, but yeah, sure. we definitely but, try to, don't yeah, we? That's what we're trying to push. But uh, there, are, there are other industries that, you know, the client we work for is, is definitely adopting those kind of practices. So. But I think also it calls back for me to some of the earlier episodes that we did of this podcast where we were talking about how there's this, um, this idea that humans blindly accept the output of automated systems because computers yeah. never lie. Mm. And, and a fry, wasn't it? Yeah, and also well, the, so. the A-level scandal as well, That's um, true, episode yeah. two or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. And accepting what the computer tells you. It's gospel. Yeah, Chris, I mean, Christina Blacklaws, who is former president of the Law Society, said accepting what the computer tells you is often the least risky option for an individual and the least time-consuming as well. And the chilling conclusion of the post office scandal according to again to john thornhill of the ft is that it's all too easy to imagine similar errors occurring in other organizations that have under-resourced their technology departments outsourced critical enterprise and cut back on adequate auditing systems and that go, brings us all the way back around to the quote that i brought up at the beginning you can't export all the risk to a supplier so you know fujitsu in this case you could see the post office trying to slopey shoulder it onto them but ultimately it's, it's also a sage warning, I think, to these big companies who think they can hire in a big consultancy firm and then there's literally no risk to them yeah. because this hearing and these, these proceedings are now starting to show that actually that isn't true. It doesn't matter how, whether you pay someone a billion pounds or not. If your own organization is misusing the data that that system delivers, you're going to get caught. And that's, that's a good thing, you know, right? That's, that's, that's a good indictment of the UK system because it, they are now being brought to task. But 20 years later and with a lot of lives having been irreparably damaged or maybe in one case even ended. So it's a, it's a, it was a big story. You know, I thought it was quite interesting just to go through it and, um, and look at it and, and reflect on how our industry's changed in that time. Or changing. Any closing thoughts from you guys? Well, uh, it's, it's an interesting and sad story. But yeah, there are, there are glimmers of things that we're doing now, definitely, that, that would mitigate that particular risk. I, I mean, it's interesting the one about handing over the full risk to suppliers because. In a way, that's what companies want to do. They want to transfer risk. That's part of outsourcing is the transference of risk. Yeah, I remember being told when I first became a you know, consultant, um, the reason that anybody hires us is because mm. they want to transfer the risk to us. I remember a manager literally word for word telling, telling me that. But I think... I that's why you hire a consultant. Yeah. And I think that still applies because... You know, there's there's not transferring your crown jewels over to the supplier. There's always a balance to be made. No. But it, outsourcing yeah. is all about transference of risk. That's why you do it. Yeah. But we should always, I, I don't think there's anything wrong in a way in relying on basic human decency. You know what I mean? No, I think there's an underpinning basic human decency that we should all rely on. And that mm. has failed in this particular example with... with oh, 100%. Potential, yeah, yeah. To- total breakdown of of ethics and morals and, er- yeah. and everything, you know, it's a mad scramble to the bottom in many ways, wasn't it? I think there's also this um, kind of, when, when transferring risk to a supplier, there's still a responsibility as the host organization to understand how some of that risk is shared. So having mm-hmm. resources in certain roles or embedded 
supplier resources into business roles where that link would naturally happen. So service management for a system like this, that would be the kind of plug where you'd understand what's going on with the service, the value of the data, and all of these things should hopefully have come out from. So it seems as if that was either missing or not set up correctly. Yeah, I, it, it just goes back to just because you've bought a thing off someone and given them the risk of building, it doesn't mean you can then misuse it, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. The fact that people were placed in a position where using that data as the alleged victim, i.e. the post office itself, there was another great quote I found. It, it was a tribute. I don't know who actually said it. So uh, it, it was just listed as one senior lawyer, but they said an alleged victim should never be able to prosecute. This is highly problematic. And that's what was happening in this case because mm. the post office had those powers. They were able to go after these people and they were actually the victim. So the victim yeah. was the one doing the prosecuting. So they were particularly no, militant about it. Total conflict of interest as well, yeah. So there, there's something around that particular perfect storm that was created by that happening, mm. which you alluded to earlier, JK. But I think generally it's, you just can't, you can't make it all the IT company's problem. Yeah. Um, you have to take responsibility for what you do. Yeah, intelligent customer. When you outsource, yeah, yeah. you still need to be an intelligent customer. You just can't outsource and forget. Yeah. You still need governance yeah. and assurance within the customer and people that are understanding what the, what the supplier is doing. And you need to understand what outsourcing actually means for you because, you you know, with that data center fire that I covered a couple of episodes ago where people went, hang on a minute, you're a cloud provider. Like, it's your responsibility to make yeah, sure all my right, stuff yeah. stays up. And it's like, yeah, not if my data center's on fire, mate. You know, you've got to have your own BCDR <laughs> yeah. plans for, yeah, for, yeah. for acts of God. You uh -huh. know, people people very often try and make things the, the problem of, of the IT providers, but they don't think carefully enough about um, how they're using their systems or how they're... Uh, how they're planning their business around those systems, I think. Anyway, that sounds like a pretty good place to to stop and move on to recommendations. So, um, Will, did you want to go first with your recommendation this week? Yes, sure. So mine is a book, which I've just finished, called The Stars, My Destination by Alfred Bester. Anyone? Anyone heard of him? I hadn't no. heard of Alfred Bester, but apparently he's I a very, think, very famous author of sci-fi books. I think maybe a okay. character in... This you is probably be will super nerdy. You probably will, but I, I yeah. think maybe a a character in Babylon Five was named after him. I could <laughs> okay. be wrong, but I think nerdy. you're right. That's very nerdy. Yeah, <laughs> I watched that many many years ago. That show, awesome. and um, yeah, there was a guy called Bester in that. Nice one. Anyway, sorry, carry on. No, that's cool. Um, so, uh, Stars, My Destination is is part of a science fiction masterwork series that's that's out there, and the, and some promote this as the initial ideas behind cyberpunk novels which i know julian you're a fan of so the neuromancer yep. of the like and it's yep. about a character gully foil who who has no education skills friend family home or anything finds himself drifting in space the wreckage of a spaceship in fact he's, he's he's in a cupboard which is the only thing that has air left on that particular uh, spaceship and his subsequent journey of murderous revenge <laughs> to find out <laughs> to well, find wasn't out, expecting that <laughs> to find out who did that to him who left him there in that in that cupboard in, in a, man in a, asphyxiating in a cupboard <laughs> murderous revenge what <laughs> yeah exactly it's bizarre it's a bizarre sort of it's um, very odd yeah bizarre summary of the book but it turns into then turns into it goes even more bizarre it turns into a sort of species humanity defining change that happens in oh my so high, high concept sci-fi then yeah it's a very interesting but it's very good yeah. it's written in the 50s so but it's aged really well you know some books don't age well especially sci-fi they, they don't particularly age well but this but this has fairly dark and it's not a very likable character although uh, I, I what, was the cupboard the cupboard the character and the cupboard but i was rooting for him 
introduces an interesting technique called jaunting, which uh, which I like the name of, which was basically they had discovered human teleportation. So you could teleport to different areas of the of the world using a technique called jaunting. Anyway, it's a, useful it's, if you're trapped in a cupboard. It, well, he was in space, you see, so he could. Uh, oh, so he can. <laughs> Anyway, go. I enjoyed it. It's a recommended read, and uh, actually, if you're a sci-fi, if you're a sci-fi um, nerd like myself, then it's it's one of the sci-fi books that you should that you should read. Really, nice one. To Tinder, did you want to go next with yours? Yeah, it's slightly different to that, um, but everybody likes a good cookie, I guess, and uh, everybody <laughs> will definitely like the Belvita chocolate chip soft bake cookie. So this is probably <laughs> one of the best cookies I've ever had. Did we talk about cookies last week or last one? Uh, different, different Slightly type. different. <laughs> cookies, yeah, I've got it. Uh, but yeah, I'd just like to recommend a very, very high quality <laughs> cookie in the Belvita. They come in a yellow box, pack of five, all individually wrapped. You can get them from your local super, supermarket. Belvita? Belvita. Is that any, any, any family resemblance to Rivita? I'm not really looked into that. I, that was my first perception when I saw it, that this is going to be like healthy or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you put and it's in a it. section. <laughs> but no. but <laughs> I don't think it is. This is a high calorie cookie. It's a high caliber as well. So expect high caliber, it to... High calorie. I was going to say, you can you can keep your horrible, healthy cookies. No one wants those. <laughs> Almost meal replacement levels of calories, if anybody's watching. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Perfect for lockdown then. Yeah. Put on a bit of that timber. Brilliant. Okay. I will see if I can find some. My recommendation this week is Love, Death and Robots, or Love, Death plus Robots, actually. So this is a Netflix anthology series, the second season of which has only just been released, um, which I've yet to watch, but I'm going to recommend the first season because that was quite interesting. So it's a sort of anthology series which does a thing a bit like the Animatrix, if anyone remembers that. It's quite an obscure thing. Or, uh, Or various other anthologies which have mixed and matched different techniques of animation and stuff like that. So it's all computer generated, I think. I don't think there's any live action stuff there no there there definitely isn't any live action stuff but some of it is very cel-shaded and cartoon-like some of it is basically photorealistic it's definitely for grown-ups it's not not for kids at all so there's plenty of extreme gore and sex and stuff like that in there but it's it's fascinating in that each is sort of a small vignette it's a small the longest one of them is maybe 10 or 15 minutes long and each one of them is a sci-fi story that's completely self-contained in and of itself. And uh, it, it, all of them involve love, death, and robots in some way, shape, or form, or crazy aliens or whatever. So it's quite an interesting little project, and it proved to be wildly popular. But there's some really cool little stories in there. There's some sort of what-if scenarios, things about um, technology sort of almost becoming sentient about people i'm I'm not going to go into any more of it actually i, I don't Order think i should that. spoil anything at all yeah not even some of the concepts that are explored there's a few particularly good episodes i'd recommend because beyond the aquila rift is very good one called shapeshifters is quite a cool concept which is definitely worth a watch and sunny's edge sunny's edge is a really good episode so yeah go go give it a watch but also you don't need to watch the whole series end to end in order or anything like that they are literally self-contained little things you know in and of themselves and, and you can just sort of pick up a few here and there but yeah i thought it was really good i don't know why i'm thinking of black mirror is it uh no it's no? not it's not no. black mirror there's some slightly black mirror-esque near future kind of stuff no so some of it is far far future okay. some of it is you know, to do with interstellar travel and, and all sorts of stuff and, and you know unbelievably advanced robotics and and whatever else that's great i'm gonna give that a go definitely it is it is really good i would i, I mean i didn't love all of it but i i liked enough of it i mean lucky 13's a great episode has a really interesting concept can i watch it with hannah 
Is it wife friendly? Well, I don't know your wife, and I'm certainly not <laughs> going to throw any <laughs> throw any judgment in her direction without knowing her. Oh, God. We nearly set you up there. Do a generic statement about. <laughs> I mean, because that's just in, that's inviting a ridiculously sexist, you know, comment, and and you're not going to get me with that. I'm afraid. Would you watch it with your wife? Yes, I'm not sure. She's not particularly squeamish or, or whatever. I'm not sure she'd be super engaged in some of it because our tastes are quite different. But I think she would definitely think some episodes of it were very, very interesting. In some of them, you certainly have to look a little bit past the art, art style. There's one in particular I'm thinking of where it's very, very cartoony looking. And actually, the the writing is fascinating, and the idea behind it, the concept behind it, is really interesting. But it's to do with a sort of artist and and stuff, and it's all very very cartoony. So I think she might bounce off the art style a little bit in some cases. Some of it's very violent and graphic. You know, I don't think whether your wife or husband, you're married or not, or male or female, makes any difference to how much you'll enjoy it. It depends entirely on your personality and how much of a sci-fi nerd you are. But I think it would be up your street, Will. I think you'd like it definitely. Yeah, it does sound. It does. So sound very, give it a really watch. Yeah. It's a bit odd, but very, very cool. And I'm oh, really... Definitely I'm, definitely up my street then. I like odd. <laughs> I'm very, very glad that Netflix made a second series. I think it's very cool that they did that. But it, it did prove to be very popular. So yeah, Love, Death Plus Robots on Netflix. And I think, chaps, that's it. That's the show. Probably the longest one we've ever done or close to. We'll edit it. So <laughs> I won't. Charlie will. <laughs> um, big shout out to him because uh, this is going to be fun to wrangle. Anyway, so thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Really good to be with you once again. Uh, thanks to Will and Jatinder very much for your contributions today. Thank you to those who get in touch with the show. We really appreciate it. If you want to get in touch with the show, we are available on ddkpod at ddklimited.com. That's ddkpod at ddklimited.com. That's the email address. You can tweet us at ddklimited, and we are also available on LinkedIn, where we are Dalton Day Candola. So yeah, as I said, thanks very much, guys. Uh, fun episode to record, and uh, we will see everybody in the next one. Thanks very much. Thank you. Cheers. That was fun, that. I like that. Yeah. Although a bit mad, but it was good. <laughs> a bit mad? It was. It was a bit, I don't know, we were a bit more free flow, weren't we, on it? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I think that's a good thing.